0: welcome to creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast in this show we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing and i am your host ramakrishna let's begin the show today's our guest is logan rankin from logan rankin investment group welcome logan thank you for having
1: me appreciate it
0: a little bit about logan logan is an experienced real estate investor owning and operating a growing real estate business with a portfolio of more than 1,000 units valued over 100 million the state of Wisconsin. Logan spent the first decade of his professional working career with a Fortune 500 corporation leading retail operations. In 2013, Logan began investing in real estate. Through the purchase of an investment single-family home, Logan was able to achieve financial freedom in the spring of 2018 at the age of 30. At that time, Logan left his corporate leadership role to focus his attention on scaling and developing his three real estate businesses. With that, Logan, would you like to add anything to your background? Background.
1: Yeah, I can add a little bit to the background. And thanks again for having me on this podcast. I like my original background was like a lot of other people. So I like to add that in there because I grew up, you know, not knowing anything about money. And with that scarcity mindset, you know, not from my parents, not from school, certainly not from society. So You know, I went through most of my life until I graduated college really with the mindset of you, all bets, all debt is bad debt. You know, save your money and work really hard at a job and any money you have left over put into your 401k. So I think there's a lot of people that get stuck in that, and unfortunately, I didn't have anybody around me to tell me differently. But I did that for about two or three years after graduating, and you know, my wife and I—I remember—I still remember the night we we're talking. We just didn't feel like we're getting ahead, and I, I thought there's got to be something more. And thankfully, my boss at the time gave me a book to be able to read. It was a personal finance book, and it really started of just opening my eyes to different things. I know you got a question later in the interview about like your worst moment, and this isn't necessarily real estate related, but like I still remember the. the the worst feeling I had about building wealth was when I started reading a personal finance book and it opened my eyes to like what I was doing. Particularly like my wife and I worked super hard and got got rid of all our debt after college. We were saving money. We we're putting money into a, a all of our money really into our 401ks because that's all we knew. And I started to read this book that was telling me about a 401k. And I understood rather quickly that I had no control over this investment. I didn't understand this investment. I still think today it's crazy that 401ks don't let you take your own money back before 59 and a half. Like, right? Isn't it? It's just nuts to me that you have to pay a penalty for your own money back if you want it before 59 and a half years old. But not having that control, not understanding it, like that's risky. And I, I find that kind of funny because I sometimes get asked, I'm sure you get asked a little bit too, like, you know, what investing in real estate is like is this a risky investment? I was putting all my money into a vehicle, into an investment that not only did I not understand the penalties, the fees, the investments, but I really had very little control. And after learning that, I started reading even more, right? And you read enough personal finance books, you're going to fall into real estate. You know, A ton of wealth is built in this sector. And obviously that's what this podcast is all about. So it was about 2013. I'm working hard at my job, but we stopped. Putting our money in investments like 401ks that we didn't understand. And we saved up and we bought our first real estate investment. It was only a single family house. And that single family house, I remember like doing my underwriting. And another milestone for me was I predicted in a year's time, it would cash flow $3,400. A year goes by and it cash flowed 3300 Now, I mean, a hundred dollar difference and $3,300 is not a lot of money. But what was interesting to me is somebody asked me uh, like how much money I would have made in my 401 k Okay. over the course of a year, I would have no clue. So the fact that I could have this much control, this much understanding of my investment, of my money, it wasn't about the dollar amount. It was like, that changed everything for me. And the next year I bought a duplex. So I doubled, right, from one unit to two. The next year I bought two duplexes. So I doubled again, going from two to four. And really like, I was low... slow grower in this passive real estate investing, because it took me three years to buy seven units. And that's just because it was a big learning curve, I had a lot to learn, Uh, I made some mistakes. And but after that, it really started to speed up. Because one thing I also realized is I'm working in this fortune 50 corporation, and I'm working, I'm still working hard at this, right? I'm working 40, uh, I'm working 60, 70 hours a week, nights and weekends, seven days a week at my W2 job, while also spending 10 to 20 hours in real estate. And you know, you got to work hard if you want to get a the rat race. And I was working really hard. I was actually getting promoted at my W-2 job. And I remember reflecting on what was allowing me to make more money and get promoted at my W-2 job. It was, you know, I was really good with people. I understood people. I, I wanted to create win-win c- scenarios. And that related to real estate. Then I love looking at P&Ls and profits, figuring out how do you drive more profit? How do you move things around? You know, just taking a look holistically at a business from a financial standpoint. And, and that is really important when you relate that to real estate. And the last thing is my company is it was in retail operations. So as you know, in retail, I mean, being effective, being efficient in operations is everything. And those three skills are like, really, really, it's still to this day, I use those skills in real estate, you know, I don't look at my apartments as buildings, I look at them as businesses. And you got to figure out how you operate those things as effectively and efficiently. And the more you can do that, the more you can dig into the financials, the more you can put good people around you, it really helps scale. Your business. And that's exactly what I did, right? So I went from seven units three years in to I bought 10 the next year. So then I, I ballooned to 17. Then I bought 50. So I jumped to 67. The year after that, I bought 180. Then I bought this, uh, about once I bought 180, I was sitting at you know 250 units. And it, it was crazy because I remember looking and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm financially free. I finally got to a point where I don't need my W-2 job anymore. So I left it. It became financially free at the age of 30. And that's what I've been doing ever since is just building up my real estate businesses. I built a property management business to help control more of my operations. I do have a coaching business we can get into later that helps people with building wealth and real estate. But now, like you said, um I have well over a hundred million dollars worth of real estate over a thousand well over a thousand units last year, I bought four hundred and twenty one units alone, even uh during covid so really starting to scale and understand what i'm doing and and building wealth a lot quicker than when I started so.
0: Awesome, awesome, and thanks for sharing your background and how you transitioned from per corporate world to single families and duplexes to multifamily units. And you started in real estate from two thousand thirteen, and now like more than thousand units and hundred millions. And would you share your success formula? How you scaled up to you know thousand plus units and hundred millions?
1: Yeah. So what I think I contribute that. The scale, I think when you, two big things, one education, like I, I didn't read a lot growing up, at, but when I first started like t- today, like I read at least a book a week and I just, if you want to scale, like back when I was putting all my money in a 401k, I didn't understand that investment. So Ha- educating myself and becoming changing my mindset allowed me to do you know understanding ways to creative finance it understand way to reposition properties anyone can reposition a property but reposition a property well um, is a different story you know figuring out you know through books through mentors really helped i would say that education piece was the was the first thing that helped me scale and i second thing that it, that continues to help me scale is spending time building systems you know when you only have seven Seven units or 17 units or even 50, you, you don't need a lot of systems. But as you start layering on more and more and more units, uh, if you don't have a system of like how to buy it, how to buy the property, even your inspection. I tell people all the time, I don't do inspections. When we go do inspections, we do everything. We're measuring square footage. We're measuring vanities. We're, we're looking at floorings. We're trying to analyze what the rehab cost is going to be of every single unit And if we do rehab it for, let's say $5,000, what will the rent increase be? Because we got to reposition this property. So if you're going to spend $5,000 on a unit, we need to understand what will the rent increase be. So let's just say the rent increase is going to be $150. So you simply take 150 times 12. You get that's a 36% return on your investment. That that makes sense, right? Uh, but we're doing that before I even acquire the property. So just these systems to be able to put in place allows you to be able to scale because you don't want to be knocking down units at scale and not being able to. Especially the properties that I buy, maybe we'll get into that in a little bit later. But I love value add properties, properties that the owner decided not to spend money on them. You know, there's more deferred maintenance. Rents are usually quite a bit lower than what they should be. So, you you know, and in this day and age, you gotta have teams that can facilitate, you know, repositioning properties like that. And, you know, taking them to, I know you, you've done a couple investments in A-class properties. I only have a couple A-class, I mean, of my portfolio, probably 5% of my properties are in A-class. Most of my, 95% of my properties are in B, B-plus locations. But when I buy them, they're like a C or C minus. So I got to spend, in fact, like I I just acquired a 40 unit apartment on Thursday and I'll probably end up spending $400,000 on that apartment in the next 12 months. Those are the type of properties. And by the way, that's going to yield me about a 45% cash on cash and a 55% ROI after I put that much money into it. So there's a lot more going on, but there's, if you got your systems, you can lower your risk and raise your reward.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And thank you. Thanks for sharing that. And would you share any of challenges you experienced in your journey so far? And how did you overcome them?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of challenges in real estate or just in general.
0: Uh, Real estate.
1: Real estate. Yeah. So you and I were talking a little bit about this. There's just a lot. I mean, I feel like there's challenges every step of the way as you grow. But to keep it short, I was trying to think of like my big hurdles. So I think one of the big things that I had to learn the hard way was about you know, midway through my real estate career, I was having a lot of success. I kind of felt like I could reposition, you know, buy any property and reposition it and create a ton of value. Well, you know, they tell you location, location, location for a reason. I bought this apartment in a bad location. One of the only apartments I've ever bought in in not a good location. I thought the area was up and coming. I thought if I spent enough money on it, I could reposition the property, and create a lot of value. That was a nightmare. It took me, I finally sold the building, but it took me like almost 2 Full years. And I mean, this property, this one apartment, I probably spent in proportion and just an enormous amount of time and energy. And I ended up getting out of it without losing any money. But if you look at the energy and the and the headaches and the time and the resources I had to spend, being able to turn this property around and just get out of it, you know, it actually was like a huge loss. So that was one of the biggest things I had to learn. I kind of broke my golden rule. I usually buy, I only buy properties that I'd move my grandma into. Those type of locations, and you know, with some success, I was feeling like I could do it anywhere. So that was a nightmare. And and for all your listeners, I would just tell you, yeah, you just you know, I highly recommend. I think in real estate, you can go in so many different directions, and it's exciting because anybody in real estate has a little bit of that entrepreneur gene, I think, and I think that's super exciting. But what I learned in that is that like focus on what you're good at, and focus at what you know. I haven't repositioned. I bought all my properties in good locations up until that point. So I didn't have a lot of experience turning around properties in in really bad locations. And um, I had to learn that the hard way. And I especially learned that it doesn't matter how much time, energy, and money you put into a property, you cannot control the properties around you (laughs) unless you own those too. So that was one of my uh, worst experiences in real estate.
0: Yeah, and totally agree. And thanks for sharing that experience. And so I guess you're focusing on Wisconsin market only. so, So what is the reason?
1: Yeah. Good question. I focus on the Wisconsin market, Northeast Wisconsin, for really just three reasons. First is the simplest. I know it. So I, when I first started putting my money into real estate, I kind of told you like every investment I've invested in before real estate, I didn't understand and I couldn't control it. So I wanted to invest in something I understood. So I, and I still understand to this day, like, I mean, especially where you are, I mean, the, the Southeast is on fire right now, right? Nashville, Tennessee, Florida, Like, But here's the deal. I don't understand it as well as I understand Wisconsin market. I grew up here. My job, I at one point oversaw multiple states and and a lot of people, and it allowed me to travel. So I got a chance to be in these cities, restaurants to see the people, to be part of the economy in the company I was working. So I understand I'm right now invested in 14 different cities in Wisconsin and I understand them as well as anybody. So that's the number one reason I, I highly encourage people to make sure they understand where they're investing. Number two, I am risk adverse. So while I've scaled to you a know, thousand units over the last eight years, you kind of saw how I started. It took me three of those eight years to buy seven units only. So from a risk adverse standpoint, they're, it's pretty safe in the Midwest, right? I mean, if you look at the last recession in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, like you don't, we don't get very much fluctuations in property values. I mean, even rent ticked up during that downturn. And I'm a cash flow investor is the third reason. So, you know, I don't invest on appreciation. And (laughs) all jokes aside, you probably shouldn't when you're investing in Wisconsin, right? You're just not going to get a lot of appreciation like you're going to get in, let's say, San Francisco or Florida or in Texas or, you know, some of these markets like Phoenix. So, and I'm okay with that. Um, What I like to do is my specialty and what I understand, I want to provide, I want to improve people's lives by providing hardworking, Blue-collar individuals that go to work all day, every day that deserve a great place to be able to live, and I know I can deliver that for them, and I know I can provide a service to them that they're not getting elsewhere. And then I think when we do have a downturn, I feel su- in my investments I feel super safe because we're not going to have a big fluctuation in price or value. And even if we do in value, at the end of the day, my cash flow is still going to come in. So those are like my biggest three reasons of why I continue to invest in Wisconsin. Now I will tell you, I'm a big component in keeping my money working hard for me. So as I continue to scale, I got more and more money coming in. I'm never going to let my money sit in the bank. I'm never going to let my money sit still. So I'm always looking for places to put my money and it's harder and harder to find deals. So I am going to continue to test out growing further out. So Maybe eventually I will get to your, you know, North Carolina or Tennessee or Florida. I'm hoping sometime around when we have a pullback in the market is what I might make that jump. And until then, I'm gonna probably keep investing in what I know and areas that I know.
0: Cool, cool. And thank you again. Thanks for sharing. And would you also share like what's your business plan for all your deals? So... The business plan for my deals.
1: Yes. Yeah, and I like that you phrased that question that way cuz I so many people they they talk about really Real estate and apartments as apartments. They're not, they're, they're businesses. So yeah, for me, like my business plan and what I continue to do is I love to buy apartments preferably as big as possible, right? I want to buy apartments that are at a minimum, you know, I, I might buy something that's 30 or 40 units, but I much prefer a hundred, hundred plus. I think right now there's a sweet spot without, with no institutional money coming in somewhere between the 50 to a hundred units. But uh, last end of last year, I took down 122 unit apartment complex too. But the bigger, the better, because I think it fits my business plan, right? You buy the apartment. And what I think everybody needs to do is that previous person that sold it would not have sold it if they didn't think they were running it the way they're running it the best that it's capable of running. Or they want to sell for a different reason. Maybe they're developing or whatever. doesn't matter. What I try to do is how do I run this apartment community, this business differently from an efficiency standpoint and from an effectiveness standpoint? And I personally believe that you should invest in properties. And if you invest in properties you actually can create more profit. Not only maybe not in the short term, but definitely in the long term. So my business plan always is to find something 50 units to 150. I got 15 people looking for me at any given time and I pay really, really well. So if anybody that is following your podcast is is around Wisconsin and, and finds me a deal, especially off market, I'm super happy to pay big finder fees for those. I acquire the property, I spend money on the property, whatever it takes to be able to turn it around by running a financial analysis in my underwriting to see what's going to give me the highest return on an investment. And then my property management company, it it shouldn't even be called that it's it's like part property management part contract, like uh, construction, right? Because you know, 90 to 95% of my property management company is rehabbing units and rehabbing these apartments. And that's what we do. We plug it into the system, we care carefully reposition and rehab the property to if maybe a C class to a B class, move the rents up while we do that and then refinance it. So I don't like to sell. I, I believe in real estate in the long run and and creating generational wealth. So my business plan is always to take that apartment to creating a lot of value and a lot of cash flow, but then refinance that that equity out so I can plow that back into another deal. And as you know, you know, when you refi, it also creates some more mortgage interest write off, which is not a bad thing.
0: Cool. Cool. So basically you're holding your all your properties for long term, maybe fifteen years, twenty years. That is fun or even more than that. Is-
1: Yes, and you know if the right, if the time is right, I will always look at selling. But yeah, I I mean honestly, I usually buy a property that I plan on you know holding on to until I die. Honestly, so I'm in it for the long run. And if there's an opportunity to sell it before, then great. If not, I want to keep refinancing the equity out of it and and making that money move, leveraging it smart, of course. But yeah, I, that's buy and hold long term.
0: Yeah, that's great strategy. So and would you share any of your best apartment investing experience so far?
1: Sure. I got a lot of really cool stories and and certainly um it, you know, if anybody wanted to check them out, I know we'll put them in the show notes afterwards, but on my Instagram page, I, I kind of try to go through every single deal I've done and kind of lay out the finances and the operations piece. So that's pretty cool. But yeah, I got a, my favorite deal, a bank gave it to me. And I think in this day and age, a lot of people are having some time finding the deals, but banks can be a great, great avenue to be able to throw you a deal. And this one, this guy wasn't paying his taxes. You know, he wasn't paying his uh, mortgage payment. So I was able to buy, acquire, it was my first big apartment too, it was 55 units. So I was able to acquire it for, let me look at this, like 2.1 million, 55 units. And this was, I don't know, probably three or four years ago. And I A really big value add. So right up, you know, my specialty. I remember walking at this apartment and there's, you know, it it was in a great location, but just poorly, poorly ran. I mean, we're, we're talking like needles in the driveway. We're talking like siding falling off. We're talking rents. One bedroom, two bedrooms for 400 and 500 each. So just not well-maintained. But here, here's the deal. Like, this is what's, what's cool about it. On one side, it's next to a park. On the other side, it's next to a lake. On the other side, it's, it has a river. If you're with me, on the fourth side, the last side, there was a lighted walking trail. So, I mean, the location was just fantastic. This goes to show, like... It just was run really bad. And so the bank helped me be able to acquire it with no money down. So for the 2.1 million, I was able to finance the whole thing. But then I stuck over the course of like two or three years, you know, probably 350,000 into the property and something cool happened as I was starting to to really start to learn how to reposition the property. You know, I took the value from that 2.1. I recently refinanced it last year and it appraised for 5.5. So, you know, 350 of rehab to take a property. From 2.1 to 5.5, pretty in about let's see, yeah, about about 26 months. So you know, kind of a that's a pretty quick repositioning. Rents now are somewhere around for you know originally they're f- about four and a quarter. Now for one bedrooms they're about seven fifty. Two bedrooms are eight fifty. We're over a thousand for the few three bedrooms that are there. And we also were able to like reduce actual operating expenses, and that was just because we obviously had so much remodeling. You know, you put in enough brand new stainless steel appliances and toilets and shower heads and stuff like that, the, the overall maintenance and repairs starts going down. So all these things feed into lower operating expenses and higher operating income. And two other th- things I learned in this deal too is this deal had no pets. But it's like surrounded by a walking trail and all these other things. So we added pets to this property as well. I mean, we make at, at this property alone about $25,000 worth of pet income that that wasn't there before. And that's pure 20, you know, that's all NOI. And then also the, la- the owner was paying for water. Now we rub back water. So now the tenants pay for water as well. So that's another $20,000 that's hitting the bottom line. So that was, the, I mean, this property, um, I've been able to do that in a lot of different ways, but this property, Alone, I think really helped stimulate my growth into the apartments. There's just nothing like acquiring an apartment and looking at it from a business perspective and looking at the financials and all these, I call them levers, right? All these different levers and thinking about how can I pull this lever differently? How can I run this? Business differently. Okay, maybe maybe we'll have the tenants pay for the water instead of the landlord. What will that do? Will that re, will that increase my overall NOI? And it's so funny, by the way, too. I don't know if anybody else experiences this. Like when I was paying for water, we uh, the the total yearly water bill was about thirty six thousand dollars. When tenants started paying for water the total water bill was $30,000 for the year. So, (laughs) I mean, it's a better value for the tenants too because we're wasting $6,000 worth of water. Better for the environment, better for the tenants, better overall value. I just, I'm a, you know, I don't want to go down this path. You're just talking about best experiences, but I I highly recommend, utilities such a big, line item that i think when you get into apartments that part of your business you, if you really dig into it and figure that piece out you can really drive some value so yeah that was one of my favorite experiences because it was my first apartment and helped create a ton of value i was able to creative financing it i did a lot of things right in this apartment and it it's no easy feat especially when it's your first apartment to manage three hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of capital improvements too
0: awesome awesome and how do you define that deal
1: I found that deal, the bank gave it to me. So I was building a relationship with a bank and this is something I highly recommend for your listeners. I Banks underwrite your deals, banks underwrite for risk. Banks are more confident lending to you if you show that you're organized, experienced and you know what you're doing. I mean, I know there's a lot of, like last year for COVID, right? I heard from a lot of investors that banks are tightening up, right? I had my best year ever and I had no financing issues, right? I, I mean, I acquired 421 units last year, but the reason why is, is if you are helping share with the banks that that you understand how to operate properties or you understand how to hold your property management company that you're using accountable and, and, and you can give that stuff to a bank, they become more confident and they want to give you deals because they want to give you debt. They want to give you money. So this deal I found because literally the bank called me one day and said, this guy wasn't wasn't doing a good job with the property and and wanted me to take it off his hands. And I really think they gave me that deal because they were really confident in what I have done up until that point and how I was building my experience and how I was communicating with them. And one side note too, last year without the banks asking, I was sending all my banks monthly updates, right? I was updating them on vacancy. I was updating them on delinquency. I was updating them on my operating experience. Like I wanted them to know that I understand the economy and the world is very uncertain right now, but there is no uncertainty with your debt that you gave to me. None. So I would provide a monthly updates. I mean, I ran a combined 1.5% vacancy and delinquency in 2020, like delinquency alone across the United States was 18%. My company ran a 1.5%. So, and I contribute that to an awesome team, you know, great system, great operations. But I mean, there's a lot of other investors that had had great years of 2020 as well. And if you had a great year, feed that to the bank is all I'm saying. Like I, wa- I was super proud that month over month, COVID was not affecting us like it was affecting other people. And I wanted as many of my lenders to know that as possible. In fact, I, I don't want to get off topic here, but this is, this is just good information. I had banks reaching out to me being like, hey, do you want to defer payments? Do you want to go interest only? Like, Are, are you nervous? And I said, no, nope, absolutely not. You, we agreed on the note. I don't care whether we have a recession. I don't care whether we have COVID. Like, We're going to figure this out and you're going to get your money on the same day when we started this note, uh, on the same day, every month throughout. I appreciate the call, but I feel good. And now some of those, it would have been to my advantage to defer payments or, or go IO. I love IO. But I saw a Different opportunity, an opportunity to instill confidence in my lending institutions so that as I brought them deals, they would remember this, right? They would rem- they would go to their board and be like, yeah, this guy like doesn't didn't take any of these opportunities to defer payments. Like, and I really think that that obviously continues to help me scale. So my business model is always like, if you if you said you're gonna pay your debt, then pay your debt. If bank underwrote the deal, you underwrote the deal. So it doesn't matter what kind of risks are out there, you just got to figure out a way around them.
0: Cool. And thanks for sharing that. And would you share any of your worst or challenging experience in multifamily space so far?
1: Worst experience? Yeah, I think the worst experience is the one I already shared about that apartment in in a bad location. I can't reiterate that enough. So kind of the short answer is, you know, you buy in in locations you understand, but also a good locations that are growing. I think that's really, really important. You know, I've had other, I've I've certainly made my fair share of mistakes, but buying in the wrong location, that is for sure the worst moment, because the, the amount of, I mean, I'm not exaggerating, right? Like the the week after I bought this building, there was like a shooting and someone died, like right outside, right outside this apartment. So I mean, yeah, it was. Uh, t- and so for the next two years, you had to grind it out. But can can I? I want to say something about this. Here's the difference, though. Bad shit happened. I bought in a bad location, but it, bad stuff happened with COVID last year, right? COVID. It wasn't easy. I don't want to remember. Really, it wasn't easy last year for anybody, including myself. But this is the difference. When you have when, when I had all my money locked up. A 401k and the market went down, that's a bad experience too. And I have no control over it. I know a lot of friends that when COVID first happened and and right, the the whole stock market plunged like 30, 40%. The only feeling you get is a feeling of helplessness. But even this worst experience in real estate, here's the deal I still had full control. I had full control over this investment, right? I, I could sell it. I can hire a different property management company. I can put money into it. And that to me, like, There's a lot of bad things that can happen in real estate, but if you can figure out how to solve those problems, you get control over solving those. It's not a feeling of helplessness. It might be a feeling of frustration. It might be a feeling of you're going to have to hustle and grind it out and and just work hard. But like, I love that part of real estate, right? You're going to run, I run into problems every single day. And as I scale and as I get bigger, anybody knows this, if if you have a business, there are going to be feelings that are awesome when you own a business. And then there's feelings of complete overwhelm, struggle, frustration as you continue to grow. And I look at those as like complex problems that you got to be able to solve. And as long as you have full control over it, and I did, even though people are there is literally getting shot in front of the building, you can, you can figure that out. And I, I, that for me is really, really important. And that for me in itself lowers the risk because now I can learn from those mistakes too.
0: Sure. Yeah. And uh, thank you. Thanks for sharing. And uh, what is your current focus and share something you're excited about now, Logan?
1: Yeah, what I'm excited about now. I probably the thing I'm most excited about now is you know, I'm still I'm still growing. You know, I've started off this year really strong. I think I've closed on somewhere around 350 units in the, in the first quarter of of 2021. So I I'll always put my money to work, but that's I'm not really as excited about that anymore. I'm I'm more excited about the other businesses I'm growing. So I'm helping other people start their financial freedom journey. So In every other company, except for my holdings company, I am helping. My property management company, I allow my employees to buy their own investments, and I help them for free to to be able to get into real estate. And then I allow my management company to manage their, even if they have two units, those two units are going to be managed at the same property management fee and set up as my, you know, 1100 plus. And that provides real value to my employees. And I think like I always, you always talk about a property management company, you want them to think like owners. So why not make them owners? So I'm, I'm really excited about that. I got a coaching business at, at Logan J. Rankin on Instagram and, and Facebook that I'm really starting to grow out. I'm doing in-person workshops. I'm about to do get online this summer with some online workshops where providing value to people and, and helping them understand that if they were never they're like me and they were never taught... Financial literacy. They were never taught how money works. They were never taught that you shouldn't put your money in vehicles you don't understand. You know, if they feel terrible about, When I ask them, what is your fee on that 401k? You know, I didn't know either. I didn't even know where my 401k was invested. So if they're feeling stuck, I'm I'm really excited to be able to provide value to them and help them get unstuck, help them get into real estate. I love real estate for so many different reasons, but you get paid now. And then in the state of Wisconsin, I'm actually on a 10 person board that reports to the governor, and we're working really, really hard to try to create some curriculum about financial literacy, about money, um, and try to get that into schools. So we're a long ways out, but I'm excited the short answer is I'm just I'm excited now this next chapter of my life is really about how do I provide more value to other people and I'm hoping to give especially kids more opportunities to be aware of money than what I was when I was going through school
0: awesome awesome thank you thanks for sharing that so any one advice that impacted you Logan?
1: The one advice that impacted me—that's easy—I think reading. I didn't read enough growing up. In fact, like I, I got pretty lucky because I, I was good at memory. And if you memorize stuff in school, I feel like that's all. Sometimes they, they push. So I was able to skate through, you know, four years of college by not reading very much. But I, I reading was the thing that opened my eyes. And and I didn't like to read before, but someone once taught me. He's like, Logan, if you read. Ten pages a day, just ten. It takes ten minutes. You're gonna read a 300-page book every single month, and I'm like, because most books are 300 pages at last. I'm like, well, I can do that. Ten pages a day. It, that changed everything because then I started reading 12 books a year on finance and and on money and eventually on real estate. And the more I started reading, you know, like I said, now I read a book a week. That is the one piece of advice that probably had impacted my life the most because I wasn't lucky enough to have somebody wealthy around me to teach me these things. I wasn't lucky enough to get taught that in school or by a course. I learned everything. I, you know, I became financially free at 30 by reading books and we're lucky enough to be, I mean, look at this this as a podcast, right? Giving out a ton of value today for free to people. We're we're in an informational age right now with people just slow down and turn off the TV and read some books, uh, Google some articles, listen to some good podcasts like yours there's just so much information out there that you can really educate yourself.
0: Awesome. So Andy, any one book that impacted your life and what way? The book,
1: I would probably say, well, I think everybody says this, but Rich Dad, Poor Dad, when I came across that, that, that definitely impacted my life. It, it was completely different than the mindset I was taught growing up. I also like the book uh, Principles, Life and Work by Ray Dalio. I also, that's, just a, that's a really heavy book, but um, that definitely impacted my life as well.
0: Awesome. So how are you giving back to community? I
1: think the biggest way is my wife and I are working on a foundation right now. We have a long ways to go, but between trying to build a foundation to give back to people and it, the, the premise of it, by the way, is built on you know, we want to, there's enough foundations that just give money to people. We want to be a foundation built on instead of giving people fish, how do we teach them how to fish from an analogy standpoint? So we're, we're we're building that out right now. And then obviously uh, I'm I'm working really hard on this committee, committee, this committee in the state of Wisconsin to try to put together some good curriculum, both for the schools and for adults for free on how to better understand money. So those are two things I'm working really hard at.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So how can listeners can connect with you, Logan?
1: Yeah, you can connect with me by hitting me. My email is logan at rankininvestment.com. If you want to email me and connect, I'm always willing to connect with like-minded individuals. But the easiest way to connect with me is probably going to my Instagram or Facebook page. It's Logan J. Rankin. And I'm sure we can get that in the podcast note. But yeah, Logan J. Rankin, R-A-N-K-I-N. I'm trying to put out free content every single day on both of those avenues to help out as many people as I can.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Logan. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for sharing your best and worst experiences and your journey. Yeah, you bet. I appreciate your time as well. Thank you. If you like the show, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. And if you want to connect with me, please send me a message info at ushacapital.com. Thank you for listening. Creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast. I hope you learned something from the show see you in the next episode thank you any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only as always please consult with your own cpa legal and financial advisor before investing